Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you're joining us for the first time today, a special welcome to you. And if you have been following along with us for a while, you know that we are looking at the gospel of the kingdom and comparing and contrasting it with the gospel of grace. So we're looking at comparing and contrasting seven sets of prophetic terms that we're going through, this being the third set, and you can see that by following along with us on your worksheet that's available from the radio station here. You can download it. Uh, It's important that we understand these terms because, as we said several times, you can read over these terms, and if you don't have a background of understanding, you may think that they're one and the same thing when they are quite, quite different. And as we've been going through the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that Jesus preached when he first started his ministry at the age of 30, the age of 30 because that's the age that a man could become a rabbi, a teacher, that uh, it was based on the Old Testament. And so consequently, over the last number of programs, we've been looking at the Old Testament, looking for those prophecies, and then looking at their uh, fulfillment Uh, and statement of fulfillment in uh, the New Testament. And we went over the the four particular points that the what the Israelites were looking for at some point in time, and of course that was ultimately manifested in the physical uh, death, uh, death, physical birth of Jesus Christ. The death comes later in another gospel. Uh, But the the death and the life of Jesus as the prophesied uh, one to come. And we looked at Old Testament passages dealing with him being the promised prophet. We looked at the Old Testament dealing with him as the promised Messiah. Then also as the promised king. And then we even looked looked at passages that had to do with him being a conqueror. Because that's really what Israel was looking for, was a conquering king who would come in and set up things as they were in the time of King David a thousand years before. And in order to do that, he would have to remove, in this particular case, the uh, the threat of the Roman Empire over Israel. And, of course, Israel was a subject state under the Roman Empire at this time. So they were looking at uh, a particular aspect of this coming Messiah And, of course, when Jesus came with the gospel of the kingdom, uh, he did make himself um, as the king. It's interesting. uh, In looking at Jesus' um, discussion with the Israelites and the way it was captured in the four gospels, uh, you might be surprised to know that he's never, Jesus is never quoted as describing himself as the king. It wasn't until he was standing before Pilate at the very end of his ministry, and frankly at the very end of his life, that he ever was questioned, are you the king? And then Jesus said, I am as you say, or I am the king. 
even though it was understood, he never really said it out loud, I am your king and you must follow me because they were looking for a, they being the Israelites, were looking for an entity, an individual that would be really no different than Saul or David or Solomon or one of the better kings to follow, such as Hezekiah or Josiah. In other words, a man. But this wasn't a man. This was the son of the living God. And he wanted them, he, Jesus, wanted to know the Israelites, wanted the Israelites to know that that's who he was, that he was coming as their Savior, as their Messiah, and he would be the king over their kingdom, uh, somewhat in the same way that God would be king over the Israelites if they had simply accepted that fact back in, uh, in fact, it's in First Samuel, where they finally openly admit that they reject God as their king. They want a man as their king. So it's it's somewhat complicated when you start looking at the gospel of the kingdom as presented by Christ to the Israelites during that first century or, or 2,000 years ago, because the Israelites had one expectation of what who this king was going to be, who this Messiah was, and of course Jesus had the godly perspective. And to understand that and understand the difference between this gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom being needing a king, so that's why it's called the gospel of the kingdom, with Jesus as king, as opposed to what Jesus would preach called the gospel of grace after the Israelites had rejected him as their king. So that's why we're spending uh, quite a bit of time, if you will, quite a bit of time, not quite as much as we did on the Son of God um, a number of programs ago in our first point when we compared the Son of God with Son of Man. But this is just about as important. And you may ask, why are we spending time on the gospel of the kingdom and understanding it and exploring the scriptures in such detail if that was done away with uh, when Israel turned their back on Jesus? Well, the wonderful thing is that one word that's so important in the Bible, and it's covenant, the covenants that God made with the forefathers that are still valid today and will be valid forever, the covenants that he made with them. He promised a kingdom in the Old Testament. That kingdom was offered 2,000 years ago in the first coming of Christ. Israel rejected the offer of the kingdom, but God didn't say, okay, I'm through with you, I'm finished. He merely said, okay, I'm going to postpone it. I'm going to postpone it till a later time, and that would be the second coming of Christ. So, as we have dug into, and we will continue here to dig into the specifics of what is the gospel of the kingdom, it's because we, one, need to know that for an un, a clear understanding of what Christ offered the first time, but knowing that he's going to offer it again. The gospel of the kingdom will be offered again to Israel at the end of the tribulation the seven-year tribulation that is yet to come. So it's yes, it's historical fact. Yes, it's relative to the Jews, but it's going to be a future fact uh, when we see Christ come back and basically um, pass judgment on the world and bring Israel into the bond of the covenant through the gospel of the kingdom. So that's why we're spending time on this, and I hope you understand that, and I haven't lost you in this, 
as we've gone through the historical background from the Old Testament about who this promised Messiah was. Then we spent time going through understanding that before the kingdom that Jesus was offering the first time could be set up, there had to be a time of tribulation. And this is a terrible time of tribulation, which did not take place back then because Israel did not accept Christ. But if they had, and there's really not much value in speculating much further beyond this because it didn't happen, but there would have been a seven-year tribulation as had been prophesied in Daniel and other places. And uh, through that tribulation, people would have been winnowed out, if you will, between the righteous and the unrighteous, and the righteous would then have been judged at the end by Jesus and allowed to come into his kingdom. Uh, These are things that the Israelites, as we see as we go through the Gospels in the New Testament, really didn't have an appreciation of. They didn't understand that there was going to be a moral uh, requirement, uh, a moral lifestyle being required here. They simply thought that a king was going to come and was going to conquer the enemies and set the uh, Israelites up as the preeminent people as they were under King David. But this idea of a dramatically changed lifestyle, a, a lifestyle of righteousness and moral uprightness, uh, was not something that they were really expecting. So this is what caught the 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 masses of Israel uh, off guard, if you will. So we want to take some time and uh, go through those and look at the specifics of the kingdom and uh, what Jesus was preaching to these people. Uh, so uh, very quickly, we went through Luke chapter 1, and if you would, let's go back to Luke chapter 1 just by way of a quick review, and I want to point out a few things here. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 1, this is where uh, Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, but it says in verse 67 of Luke 1 that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And down he prophesies about Jesus down through verse 75. And then in verse 76, he starts prophesying about his son, John the Baptist. But in uh, John uh, Luke chapter 1, looking at verses um, 71, it says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So therein was what the Israelites were looking for, salvation from their enemies, so that they could become once again the preeminent people. But then, through the Holy Spirit, Zacharias is then saying in 72, to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant. And then in verse 73, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. And in the last several programs, we went through each one of those points, mercy to our fathers, remembering the covenant and the oath that he swore to Abraham so that we had an understanding of the the real ancient historical background behind this. We went to, to Micah when we talked about mercy. We went way back into Genesis to talk about the covenants that God made with Abraham. And then we went to... Um, Genesis as well, but then into the New Testament to talk about the Abraham that Jesus was talking about, the the Abraham that Jesus was talking about. And the reason I make that distinction because is because 
when Jesus came, the Abrahamic connection the Jews understood was, I am in the bloodline of Abraham, which all the Jews were. And if I'm in the bloodline of Abraham, then therefore I am blessed and I will be in the kingdom with this new Messiah, that it's just a matter of bloodline. And Jesus comes along and says, no, it's not a matter of bloodline. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of what is called the seed of Abraham. And the Bible in the New Testament goes to some length to make to make the distinction between a physical seed that comes from the Father and is passed along through the offspring and the spiritual seed that started with uh, Isaac and Jacob. Because remember, Abraham had a number of uh, children, a number of sons. Of course, we know about Ishmael being the first son, of course, that was through Hagar. But the, the, the lineage that Jesus would come from, the important lineage, was the one that came through Isaac and his wife Sarah through the promise of the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, the promise of God, if you will, that um, the righteous would come through that line. And, of course, that's the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's the that's the line, that's the spiritual line, if you will, that the covenants were made to between God and, and Israel, and through them, Jesus Christ, and therefore the covenants with us as the Gentiles. So it's this spiritual seed. We wanted to take the time, which we did, to make that point, and hopefully um, you were with us at that time. If you If you weren't, perhaps you can go back and listen to some of the podcasts there that we talked about the very important need to understand that the the promises that Jesus was making, the kingdom that he was describing, as we go through these uh, next number of programs to, to uh, flesh that out uh, in a way, is through the promised seed of faith, not the seed of birth through Abraham. And that distinction is very important as we go forward. So, we went through that in our last few programs, and now let's let's start looking, and we'll do this over the next number of programs, is to kind of flesh out what is this kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom that Jesus came to preach, and how is what he came to preach very com- comparable with the Old Testament, but in other ways, new information for them. And I'll explain that as we go along. So let's go now to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is still by himself uh, as the principal person. He certainly hasn't called the 12 apostles yet. Uh, So early in his ministry, he was basically uh, what you might call today an itinerant pastor. And then he started to draw his disciples, and from his disciples he drew his apostles. As the, uh, as the ministry matured, and, and particularly as the ministry turned, because during his ministry on the earth the first time, he shifted from the gospel of the kingdom, which was preached to an Israel that was looking for a Messiah. But when Israel rejected him as the Messiah, he changed from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace. And it's very important that we understand when that, when that happened, and why it happened. But we're focusing on 
the uh, first part of point number three in our worksheet here, and that's on the gospel of the kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 3, we see starting in verse 1, talking about uh, John the Baptist here. He says, Now in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So, uh, verse number three here is kind of combining the role of John the Baptist as the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. That's John the Baptist. And his responsibility through the leading of the Holy Spirit acting on behalf of God, was to make the way ready for the coming of the Lord, this first advent of Jesus, to make his path straight. So he was out baptizing. John the Baptist was baptizing people uh, for repentance. In other words, a recognition of their sins and being baptized for the sins. Understand that John's baptism did not save you. John's baptism just was a recognition of your sins, that you were repenting of your sins. It required Jesus to bring salvation. But the, the, key, the key verse here in Matthew 3 is verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the key, I think the key word within that key verse is, is at hand. What does it mean at hand? And it's the point that Jesus is here, John is is announcing his coming because uh, John's uh, ministry started about six months before Jesus came uh, and started his ministry. And John the Baptist, of course, baptized Jesus in the Jordan to initiate Jesus' ministry. So this kingdom of heaven, the king has come to set up his kingdom that currently is in heaven. It's now going to be brought down to the earth and set up with Jesus as the king if the Israelites would believe him, if the Israelites would believe him. That's the key to the whole thing. So we're going to continue um, as we uh, start to develop the, the basics of what is this kingdom gospel that Jesus is talking about. And we're going to get into, uh, most of it's going to be in Matthew, because I think Matthew does a good job of uh, overviewing this, because his focus of his whole gospel is Jesus as the king. So we'll we'll use some other gospel verses and and get into Acts as well. But we'll spend the next uh, several programs developing this. What is an understanding of the kingdom that Jesus offered two thousand years ago? All right. Well, let's transition now, as we always do, in each program to our Q and A. In the last several programs, we've been looking at a question: Who is not going to be included in the rapture of the church? And you might think, well, it's just the rapture of the church and everybody else which are going to hell. And that is, it, it, it could be a common belief depending on what your denomination is or, or what your, your upbringing has been, but it couldn't be further from the truth that the rapture of the church is going to take, is going to address one group of righteous people but there are several groups of righteous people that are talked about in the Bible. And in our last uh, couple of programs, as we started to address this, 
we looked at what is a um, righteous person according to the gospel, and we went to Matthew chapter 16, and this is um, somewhat in line with what we're talking about uh, in our teaching portion of our programs here of late, and that is the gospel of the kingdom versus the gospel of grace. And in Matthew 16, that is the point in which, that is the chapter in which Jesus changes from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace. And it's simply based on uh, a meeting that Jesus had with all of his apostles after he called them back in from taking the gospel of the kingdom to Israel. And he asked them simply, who do the people now say that I am? Do they recognize me as the Messiah? And his apostles answered him, no, they don't see you as the Messiah. Uh, they see you as a, a Old Testament prophetic figure. You're a prophet. You could be Elijah. You could be Jeremiah. One of those, but you're not the promised Messiah. And then he, he asked them, and he they said, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter made the great profession, you are the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to the apostles, based on that profession that Peter made, that recognition that I am the son of the living God, I will build my church on that recognition. So that's the first mention in the Gospels of the church is right there in Matthew chapter 16. In fact, it's um, you might find it curious that you only find a mention of the church three times in all four Gospels. All three mentions are in the book of Matthew. One is what we just read here, which is the key verse, because this is the announcement of the future initiation of the church, which, which, which wouldn't actually start until 10 days after Jesus had gone back to heaven, and that's in Acts chapter 2 in what we call Pentecost. But there are two other places, both of them are in Matthew 18, and they have to do with church discipline. So consequently, the word church, you find it twice there. But other than those three places, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, it's only found three times in all four Gospels. So you can see that Jesus' primary emphasis in the four Gospels was about Israel. It was about bringing Israel into the kingdom right then. So we uh, we see that a profession that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God is the requirement to enter, um, uh, to be a part of the church, and therefore to be raptured and to uh, be with uh, the Lord and with Father God forever. Then we went through, uh, went, went to First Corinthians chapter fifteen, which is basically the gospel of grace uh, stated the most simply, the most succinct in all the Bible. First Corinthians fifteen one through four. And that was basically believing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That uh, that would be the full recognition that he is the son of the living God. And that's the simplicity of that that befuddles so many people who, uh, who are informed about Christianity and told that that's all it takes. And they say that can't possibly be true. That's too simple a thing. Yet that is the essence, the simple essence of what is salvation and eternal life with, with Jesus. But then we wanted to move on from there and show that it's not just the rapture of the church that takes all the righteous to heaven and everybody else in the entire Bible is going to hell. Well, that's certainly not the case. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know we've talked about this in different uh, Q&As over time. 
But I want to take you now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we just were in our last program looking at the simple gospel. But I want to go on from there and go down to verse 20. So we want to go to 1 Corinthians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. We want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the second to the last uh, chapter of 1 Corinthians, the two letters that Paul wrote to that very interesting church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 20, and I want to read down to verse 26. It says, But now Christ has been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ all will be made alive. All will be made alive. Verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Verse 24, Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. So there's so much, so much to be found here just in these, these short verses from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 26, because it's basically talking about the, the resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago, all the way through eternity that we find in, uh, in Revelation, in uh, Revelation chapter 20, when we talk about abolishing death, which, which comes at eternity, after the millennial kingdom, after the great white throne judgment. But during this period of time, as people die in Christ, and that's the key point being made here, those who die in Christ, and if you look back up in verse 20, the very last word of verse 20 is asleep. And that's another one of those, if you will, code words in the New Testament. Those that are referred to as asleep are those who have physically died in Christ because it's just a period of time before they're going to be resurrected to eternal life. So they're referred to as asleep. But having said that, I also want to make another key point here that it said in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, and of course that's because of the sin in the garden, so also in Christ all, you see that word all, all will be made alive. Both the righteous and the unrighteous will be made alive at some point in time. The unfortunate thing is all the unrighteous of all time will be made alive only at the great white throne judgment, and they will be made alive so that they can stand before the Lord and be judged for their sinful deeds, and then they will be cast into the lake of fire. That's a horrible thing to think about, but there will be a a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. And the key thing for us is there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous, but there are going to be different resurrections. And that's what we want to talk about in our next Q&A portion. But remember, until then, 
If we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.